The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 202 for Monday, May 11th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. On the other end of the mic is John Braun. Hi, John. How are you? What language are the two? What did you say? Ought? I think that's what I said. <laughs> is that okay. is that going to be a problem for you? Do we, do we need to redo that? No, no. Okay. No, I'm okay with that. But, uh, okay. you know, 202 rings uh, uh, brings back a, a little oh, memory. Oh, Apple Cat memories. Yes. Keep going. Pop quiz. That oh, was the yes. half duplex 1200 baud. It was 300 in one direction, 1200 in the other way to download. Uh, when Once a download started, it would kick up to, to 202 protocol. Is that right? Yeah, I think you're there. So it was the Bell 202 protocol, and it was 1200 bits per second half duplex. Right. One direction only. So I don't know about the 300 part of that, though. I may have switched over to that. But basically, it was either one side or the other talks that both could not, but it was right. four times as fast as I think bell one Oh three, which was 300 bits per second full duplex. Right. So I remember that. We're talking yeah. about the old modem days. Uh, you know, what's funny, John is when we took our little, we did our, we do our pre-show and then we take a little bio break and then we come back and do the show. And as Pete and I were heading out of the studio, I kind of have that storage area. Well, I cleaned up all those boxes that were out there, John, and uh, I stacked them on shelves and I went through boxes that were decades old, full of various different uh, bits and pieces of, of uh, computing and electronic hardware. Right. One of the things I found in there, John, was when I was on the road with that band back in the mid 90s, I, want, I had a laptop and I wanted to be able to stay connected. But it was all over telephone modems. And I knew that there were going to be times that I had, uh, you know, to try and connect over a payphone, And. I have an acoustic coupler modem that I used back in those days, or an acoustic coupler that I would plug wow. into my modem. Yeah. Wow. Thing looks like a big handle you put on a plate glass window with suction cups to <laughs> pick it up and walk around. <laughs> it's a neat old piece of gear. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So we're planning on talking about old gear, but here it comes. Well, uh, I was actually testing, and it was funny because some people razzed me on this, but uh, my, my TiVo, so I have the, uh, you know, uh, Series 3, HD TiVo, yep. but I still have the analog phone line plugged into it. Is yeah, I don't, I don't have an analog phone line. Well, I just still have it in that room, and, and, and I have it as you know, a fallback. It uses the Wi-Fi, the, the no, G adapter. No, I mean, I mean, I don't have an analog phone line. Yeah, I still do, but you I know. don't. So, okay. Uh, yeah, but th- there is a benefit to having an analog phone line, because when the power and everything, when, when it all hits the fan... Oftentimes, the phone remains the the lone thing that still works. Yes, it does. The power may be out, but the power through the phone lines, uh, yeah, it's a less uh, complex power yeah. distribution kind of. As long as as long as the line's not physically down. Right. Okay. Uh, agenda? How about that agenda? We do. So we have we actually have some cool stuff to go through. We've got some uh, tech support techniques to talk about. Uh, tons of cool stuff found. It seems like we're just kind of inundated with all this cool stuff to talk about, which is great. Uh, a lot of it from you folks and some from uh, from John and, and myself even. And uh, and then and then we'll go through some backup options. But but first, I wanted to uh, actually I'll, I'll introduce story. Pilot Pete. Yes. Yeah, say hi to Pilot Pete. Hi, gents. How you doing? We're hi, good. Pete. All right. That so gave Dave, me you're going to tell us a story. I am. I, I wanted to have a little bit of tea before I told the story. So there we go. Uh, so the other night, Saturday night, I decided uh Amazon has their HD rentals, which you can download uh, to your, you can download them. You can, I guess you can't watch HD on your computer via Amazon, but you can watch it on your net enabled television device, be it one of those Roku things, I think will do it, but a TiVo certainly does. And so I was going to, yeah, I was going to download it to uh, our series three TiVo and watch it. So I started the download and I realized it was coming in slow. So, okay, we can't watch it tonight. So we watched another movie. It was downloading. And on the TiVo, there's a little blue light that tells you when it's downloading. So, fine. So, we go to bed, and it's still going. I wake up the next morning, and the blue light's still on. Like, well, this is weird. So, I look, and I check the bandwidth. Now, I monitor my network's bandwidth a couple of really crazy ways. One is I have a little app that I've talked about called MRTG 
that runs and and creates a little bandwidth graph uh, that my my router uh, based on the the bandwidth used by my router. And so I saw for the first two hours of this downloaded, it was going at one point five megabits per second. So not blazingly fast, but certainly fast enough to, you know, slurp down the movie and, in a, you know, in probably four hours or whatever it would be. And uh, but then after two hours, it slowed to a crawl like, you know, 200 kilobits a second. It's like, holy cow, this is crazy. And so I started looking and went through all this crazy stuff. And I'll, I'll spare you all the details. Uh, I tried Amazon. I, you know, I, I reset everything in my network, blah, blah, blah. Everything's still happening the same way. Now, the TiVo is connected wirelessly. And I looked at the real time bandwidth graphs that my that my router provides me because I use that that DD work firmware that I promised I I won't mention a whole lot because it drives some of you crazy. But it works great. I got a lot. I got to say, I love it. And I looked at the graph and it was like uh, this, this um, th- th- you'd get a sharp increase in speed and then it would drop off and then a sharp increase in speed and it would drop off to zero. And it was this constant up and down like it was trying to start, but it couldn't. And I could transfer other things from my TiVo to my computer. So I knew the TiVo was connected and no, nothing else was having bandwidth problems. And Comcast swore they weren't capping me and all this. And then finally, I took a computer into the other room and ran iStumbler. Now, iStumbler tells us about other networks. And what I found was that when I went into the other room... I found another network on channel 11, which was the same channel that my wireless network was on. And so I figured, all right, I'm going to take my own advice and I'm going to move that. And I moved it from 11 down to six. And instantly I went from this, you know, spiking at 200 K range all the way up to seven and a half megabit fully stream download. And uh, the movie just slurped right down. So when John and I talk about these, uh, you know, checking the channel and changing the channel, if one of your neighbors appears to have, uh, a, a network on the same or similar or close channel, it really makes a difference. And, and it made a huge difference with uh, with us. So at some point, my neighbor changed the channel of her network uh, for whatever reason, because it definitely was not there before. I think she was on six. She must have moved it out of the way. And uh, and that that caused the issue. And it was it was it wasn't close either. I mean, these people are pretty far away, but I, I don't know. It was enough, you know, enough of a trickle signal to, to get yeah. in the way. They're fans of the show, Dave. They listened. They knew they needed to change channels. <laughs> That's and right. They did. All right. Everybody who's listening, change the channel. That's right. Change now. That's right. Uh, so, so it really you did know, make I'm, a difference. I'm seeing this cascading effect, Dave, is that, you know, so they changed the channel maybe because they had an interference problem. Right. Then you change your channel. Now you've just screwed up the next person in line. Well, thankfully. So like, Gee, th- you know, everything used to work and, and somebody changed their channel and now. That's right. Thankfully, the next person in line is me, because if you keep going, well, as you go around the neighborhood, you have the house and then the office. And and so the office is on channel one. And 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 so I think we're we're okay. We've got 11 on on one side, six in the house and now one at the office. So I think I think we've we've uh, we've cleared it all up. And and to be clear, you can't change N, right? We went over that a couple weeks. You can't change a channel on the N networks. This is only G networks. Um, actually, you can change the channel okay. on on the N networks. Um, some that is a different range of channels. It's a different Someone range. Asked that recently, I think they're in like the fifties or, or some or thirties or something. Actually, they start in the thirties and go all the way up yeah. to one sixty one. I think. Right. Oh wow! Uh, but there, okay. but there's a gap in the middle there that you're not allowed to use uh, for some reason. I I don't know if it somebody else has it. It, you know, it's, the government has reserved it for somebody else. But um, but yeah, no, the, the thing about not being able to change the channel, it all depends on the router. Um, they'll they'll pick it automatically in most cases. But the, that firmware that we're using, you have to set it in a very special way in order to get the option to change okay. the channel. That's all for the five gigahertz, the, the two point four, the one through eleven range here in the United States. I think it's one through thirteen um, in other parts of the world makes a big difference. So. But, it, you know, this advice that we preach here, it, you know, we, we ate our own or I ate our own dog food. And uh, and it, it in this case, it tasted good. <laughs> Do we need to uh, to move on, John? Yeah, we really. <laughs> OK, I'm going to I'm going to talk about our first sponsor here. And that is Bare Bones with BB Edit. Now, just this week, they shipped BB Edit 9.2. Now, BB Edit, if you don't know, is an uber powerful text editor, very simple to use, 
lots and lots of power and great features under the hood. Version 9, which has been out uh, for, I think, about eight months now, introduced a lot of cool things, including non-modal find and multi-file search, so that when you're searching files, you can search multiple files at the same time, and you aren't trapped with that window being the topmost window. You can actually bury it. You can edit right inside search result lists. You don't have to open the file individually. Uh, Version 9.2 adds some cool things. One of the biggest of which is called a sleep command. So you've got all these different files open. And yes, years ago, they added what they called the Dave Hamilton feature, which was where it would remember all the files and reopen each of them individually when you relaunched. But it had to go through the process of reopening all of them. The sleep command actually saves the state of the software so that when you reopen it, it just pops it back open with everything just like you had it before. It's a much faster, smoother experience. So that's uh, that's the biggest thing in, in 9.2. They also uh, add uh, support for la- editing Lasso script source code. Um, and when they say they add support for it, of course, you could edit any language in, uh, in BB Edit. But when they have support for it, which they do for many languages, including all the common ones, you know, C, Java, uh, PHP, Perl, all that stuff. As soon as it notices that you're in one of these language and you're typing constructs in one of these, it allows it highlights the text automatically so you can see where functions start and end. You can code fold, which means if you've got a start and an end to a function, you can actually twist it up and uh, and hide that uh, snippet of code and only open them, only open the ones you want to see. It really kind of takes advantage of 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 a huge library of, of all this different stuff. It's absolutely fantastic for anybody that's editing source code or uh, or even html code uh it does all that that stuff just for for html as well so this is bb edit from barebones.com it uh let's see retail price is 125 dollars. if you own a previous version of bb edit you can upgrade for 30 dollars, and then of course anybody that purchased 9.0 or later can upgrade for free to bb edit 9.2 from barebones.com are we ready to go on to this tech support thing here john i'm ready all right oh. Go, Mike. Hi, John, Dave, Pete, if you're there. This is. is Michael from Garland, Texas. I've been listening to the show for about a year, and I really enjoy it. As a follow-up to James' questions from the end of last week's episode, I would like to know if you all have any tips, tricks, or incantations for getting the most out of a tech support call. As an experienced Mac user, I've had both good and bad experiences calling or emailing tech support for software and hardware products I've purchased. In the better experiences, I've obtained a swift replacement or insights into features and troubleshooting techniques I didn't know about. But in the not-so-good experiences, I've often been frustrated with when a tech starts walking me through a procedure way too slowly or insists that I try eight very obvious fixes, even though I've already tried them before I called and I told them that. Or they just clearly don't understand the problem and need to hand me off to someone who does. Another problem is when they try to weasel out of culpability by blaming other products or cosmic rays or user error. I understand tech support is no picnic, and I don't envy anyone in that profession. And the last thing I want to do when talking to them is become irate or put them on the defensive, but there are times when I, as the customer, feel I'm not getting what I need, and I thought you guys might have insights that the rest of us would find useful. On a related note, do you prefer phone, email, or live chat support? Uh, any suggestions for getting through to a human quickly? I recently learned that you can actually have AppleCare tech support call you by scheduling an appointment online. You still have to wait a minute or two after they call you back, but if the problem isn't urgent, it can be far more convenient than babysitting the phone for 45 minutes while you wait your turn. Thanks in advance. Keep up the good work, and don't get caught. Thanks, Mike. All right, uh, John, why don't you uh, take this one, then we'll bounce it back and forth a little. Yeah, I'm going to start off a little bit. So number one, I've done this at a certain capacity where I work, uh, informally helping people. Now, the one thing, but I've also worked with people that work at call centers. And number one, I got to say, for the most part, at least in my mind, this job sucks because you have people calling you all day with problems and complaining and a lot of them are probably not in a, in a rational state of mind because when your computer stops working, I mean, you know, I get calls from my parents every now and then. My mom freaks out when an uh, email doesn't work for whatever reason and, and she doesn't know, you know enough to fix the problem or necessarily how to, you know, explain it to the tech people. Uh, but anyway, so, so it's a horrible job. Um, it, I, I could not do it day to day. I'm sorry. 
Um, but I'll start off with, with a few things. We, we both have uh, points here, Dave. Um, I would say the first, and I have heard this, and I've actually heard some uh, you know, uh, tape recordings. A lot of them, they tape for training and sometimes for amusement. Um, <laughs> but they tape the calls uh, to see how to deal with people better. And, and one of the first things I would say is try to upfront do a little work ahead of time and also try to clearly describe the problem. So I'm, I'm lumping together a bunch of tips that I have here, but don't just call up and say it doesn't work. And that, that is probably the one phrase that just gets me going. If I was a tech support person, which I've had happen in some cases, someone calls me up, John, this isn't working. What do I do? I'm like, oh, okay. So one, try to identify the problem what is not working? Does your email not send, not receive? So rather than emails not working, what specifically? And, and more importantly, I think, get detailed information about what you mean by not working. That's very vague. If you get an error message, even though the error messages sometimes are numerical and they make absolutely no sense, if you describe to whoever you're dealing with, okay, I try to do this. I get this message. I get this dialogue. I get this code. I get this and that. That's a place for them to start because they probably have information somewhere on how to solve that specific problem. But if they try to type it doesn't work into their you know, support tool, it's probably not going to come up with anything very relevant. So, um, so to recognize uh, the, the difficulty of this job and also to try to make their job easier, um, that's my first tip, Dave. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll riff on that a little bit. It, it, I have been in this situation um, I did consulting for a long time. It wasn't on the phone. It would, most of it was, you know, live in, in person, but of course that always would lead to uh, on the phone stuff in, in various cases. So I, I understand some of the frustration of both sides of this. And one of the most frustrating parts of it for the tech service people is that they are relying on you to be their hands and their eyes. And, they really need to know that they can trust you to a tell you, tell them everything that you're seeing and b only click press or type the things that they tell you to type. There's nothing more frustrating than being on the phone, walking somebody through something and having them say, okay, well now I've got this dialogue that says X, Y, and Z. And you know, darn well, the only way they got there was by clicking a button that you specifically had not yet told them to click. Right. You know, and, and so making sure knowing that when you go, when you go into a phone consultation with someone, they're going to want to check out your computer as best they can. And you are now their minion. Right. And even if you think, you, you know, if I call somebody and, and I'll, I'll kind of take this in and and move on to another step. If I call tech support, oftentimes I have an idea. I've troubleshot enough on my own to have an idea of at least what it's not. And I try to explain that to the tech uh, clearly, quickly and Without any, uh, you know, without playing the blame game. Right. So, look, here's what I've tried. This didn't work. Oftentimes they'll say, OK, I want to try that again. I give them one or two things that I will dutifully go through and try again. And yep. OK, here we go. And after I do a couple of those and we've proven that, look, yes, I tried those things. I'm you, we're now together getting the same re result that uh, that. You're, you know, that I told you I got before, then I'll start to push back a little bit and say, OK, look, no, we've tried that. I've tried all this stuff. So now I, I want to move to the next level. One thing that often happens is you'll get to a point where you'll say something or navigate down a path where it allows a support rep the opportunity to say, aha, you know, uh, this now this problem is likely unrelated to our software or hardware. It's an issue with some other piece of software or hardware on your computer. And if you get to that point and you can't talk your way out of it, politely hang up and call back <laughs> and get someone else and try a different path that doesn't lead you to that answer. It, unless unless there's a good reason to suspect that particular piece of hardware or software, uh, you know, third party hardware or software to, uh, to to be the culprit. But if you're certain that it's not OK, thank you very much. Yep, I'll try that. Click, 
call him back. Okay, here I am again, you know, or here I am. Here's my problem. You know, learn from your mistakes, navigate a different path. When they start saying, check this and this, yep, I've done that. That's all fine and good. Keep moving. But again, don't, don't mislead them unless you're certain that, uh, that it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, or that that's not the issue. Good. Good. You got okay. anything else to, to um, take there? Yeah, a few more things. So, um, I may mention it before. I'll stress this. Take good notes regarding what your system. They can't see your computers. They've said you're you're their eyes and ears and and hands. So, I have a you know MacBook Pro. Here's the uh, the chip. Here's you know other specs on it. I'm running OS version whatever. The version of your application I'm trying to run is this. Um, you know, try to have that ahead of time because they're probably going to ask you. Um, so make sure you're well prepared for, for the questions that they're going to ask since they cannot be, be there with you if you're doing phone support. And now here's another thing, and, and I've seen this time and time again. Before you call, think very, very carefully about what you did before something didn't work. Because I had so many times and I've heard tapes, you know, where this, this has happened where the support person will say, have you changed anything? And the answer is no. Have you done anything? No. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> think very, very carefully, even if it's something that you think is uh, inconsequential. You installed a new application. You created, a, you know, for example, a huge movie file. Oh, maybe you overloaded your hard drive or uh, whatever, but, but you, you get the idea. Um, think about anything big that you did before things stopped working and, um, you know, share that with the person. I I would say, remember, as frustrating as it is for you, of course, we've talked about it's likely as frustrating or more frustrating for the person on the other end of the phone. Now, it's their job to remain as courteous and kind as they possibly can. Uh, But remember that they are at the moment you're talking to them, they are the only other person in the world that can help you. And. A little bit of social engineering, asking them about their day, you know, just treating them like a human being. And, you know, where is it that you're located? You know, if you've got a little time where, you know, you're waiting for something to reboot or, you know, load something, you know, just engaging in chit chat, treating them like a human and remembering that they're the only ones that are helping you. You know, that their job Uh is to to help you get to the, the answer. And and this not only makes the whole experience more pleasant, frankly, for both of you. But it also garners a little bit of favor if it gets to a point where, you know, and I've had this happen where a device is clearly out of warranty. You know, there's a and it's broken. Right. Let's say there's some piece of hardware clearly out of warranty, clearly broken. If I've been nice to the person and cordial and respected their position in this in the whole you know situation, I've had them oftentimes say, oh, you know, we can bend the rules a little bit. That's eh, OK. That's fine. They don't have to. And, you know, if I was a jerk to a man, I can guarantee you would be like, well, you're out of luck, sir. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. You know, um, but but, you know, definitely be nice. And it might get to the point where you have to step it up the ladder. You know, you, you call up, you get level one technicians. You might need to move up to level two or level three to solve a, a specific problem. If you, and, you know, some caveats on that. Now, Pete mentioned this. I wasn't going to say this, but I will say it. If uh, I'm sorry, unless you, you have something more. Well, I was going to say, be, be courteous and know that even if you call up knowing that you're going to step up to, to level two or level three, you might have to go through a couple of the lower level pedantic steps first to prove your your case and 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 convince the first level tech that, ah, yes, OK, I can't solve this problem. This is beyond my scope here because they have to answer to their boss. And when they pass a call off, that's that can be a red mark against them. Uh, and, and so oftentimes you'll need to, for their benefit and because of their structure, go through a process or two. Say, yep, OK, got it. Now, now I'm comfortable supporting your 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 desire to move up the chain. And and, and that can that can work out very well. So. Uh, so go ahead, John. What, what were you going to say? Um, well, Pete mentioned this, and I was going to mention this, uh, but I didn't have it on my you know top list. But uh, do not, unless you're a real jackass, do not pull the do you know who I am or I will have your job or, you know, uh, as we mentioned, this is this person is probably one of the few people that can help you. Don't ruin it. 
Yep. Don't get confrontational. On the other hand, in some cases, I've had to be yes. a bit passive aggressive. Like, well, you know, I'd really hate to waste your time, blah, blah, blah. But it sounds like we're not making progress on this. And But but it, a lot of times that works a lot better than threatening the person or, or saying, I want to talk to your manager. Or I'm going right. to do this or that and threatening them. If if you play it like you said, I don't know if I, social engineering to me has kind of a sinister. Well, I guess not. But 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 try to be pleasant, but sometimes firm. Like if something's busted and it's under warranty, and you know you have a right to get it replaced, and they're kind of balking or whatever, you may have to push a little bit. And uh, but sometimes, as you pointed out, Dave, things are in a gray area. They may have a secret repair program, or it may be at their discretion, right, to do something nice for you. But if you're a jackass, you're probably not going to get treated well. So. It's true. Again, try to be civil and normal and, and, and try. But sometimes you may have to push a little bit. It may be uncomfortable sometimes. But if you're going in circles, yeah, either you may have to. I mean, it's not always, you know, say, do you have a supervisor or do you have a higher level person I can talk to because we're, we're not making progress? And I've said that before. Yeah. And a lot of times they're like, uh, absolutely, I'm, I'm going to hand you off. Uh, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Right. <laughs> I'll give you to someone else, right. which may have the ability to solve your problem. So, um, so, so again, don't be afraid to, to push a little bit if. If you feel you're you're going nowhere, yeah, do it, do it politely or at the very least um, cordially where you're you're not insulting the person on the other end or at least not going out of your way to insult the person by mm-hmm. simply by asking for a supervisor. That may be that alone can be aggressive behavior in, in knowing that someone's job is, you know, under the scrutiny of of someone who's watching what happens on each call that alone can be aggressive, but sometimes you just have to ask. And I have something else. Yeah. And this should probably in any support situation, not just computers, uh, you know, to, to me, it seems obvious, but I'm going to mention this, get a name, get a phone number. If you can get an ID, get an extent, whatever you can get. If you get somebody that's helping you make sure you can get to them again, Uh, at the very least the case number, because somebody, Run that's starting from scratch, and that aggravates a lot of people, too. You call back, they're like, do you have a case number? Oh, no. Well, now you've just put them on the defensive, because now they're going to have to solve the problem all over again. Get a case number or ask for one. They, they almost always give it to you. They may even send you an email or something like that. But here's something that's worked out for me as well. It doesn't always result in tangible, tangible benefits, but it makes me feel better. If the person helped you, find a way to... Uh, give them some praise either to their manager. Now, some, now for example, uh, Dell, we have this in our, um, our enterprise agreement. When I get something from our, our enterprise rep, it has something baked into their email saying, how am I doing? Here's the link to my manager. If I'm doing a good or bad job. And like the other day, I got off the phone with uh, TiVo and TiVo after a support call has a little survey saying, was this person good or, or did they stink? And I'll answer truthfully. So if you have an opportunity, to, sometimes you may have to go above and beyond I don't know if I'd suggest writing a letter. You could do that, too. But uh, try to recognize people that do a good job because they're they're uh, a rare commodity, I think, that they can really, you know, speed things along. And a lot of these people get timed and stuff, too. That That's another challenge. Right. I've seen they have these scoreboards. I mean, if you're on the phone too long, sometimes, you know, it, their challenge is to solve your problem, but do it, uh, you know, without pushing the button and hanging up on you, right. <laughs> but, but doing it properly. Uh, sometimes they work off a script, too. And that's that's a tough challenge, too. They may have a script that doesn't have a good resolution. Oh, yeah, that's know. true. Yeah, you can get stuck down a path sometimes. And that's the other time when you just call back. Yeah. Uh, to, right. to go back to the point you were saying before, where sometimes you have to ask and, and that can even be uncomfortable. Uh, I know I shared my experiences with Apple's customer relations, not technical support, but customer relations. And and in short, if you've gone through tech support, you've tried you know, three or four different uh, attempts at, at getting a specific problem solved with one particular piece of hardware. And you decide, look, th- this thing's a lemon. I want to get it replaced. Tech support's not the place at Apple to do that. Customer relations is. And you have to call the main Apple number, ask to speak to customer relations. Now, at that point, having that case number is very important. They can look it up by serial number uh, if you don't. But having the case number helps. And it is uncomfortable to be on the phone and say to someone, I want you to replace my computer or I the only solution that I think is fair is for you to replace my computer. Mm. I mean, that, you know, it takes guts. But now you've done, have you done that? Absolutely. That's the okay, only way I got. In fact, the machine that we're podcasting on right now, 
um, was the was the replacement for that uh, for that old iMac that that bit the dust and had all those okay. quirky little problems. But but the woman asked me, you know, I got on the phone, I explained the problems. I said, look, we've been around and around. And she said, OK, sir. And she wasn't snotty about this. And so I, I, if my if my inflection makes it sound that way, it wasn't. But her question was, OK, sir, what would you like me to do for you? And at that point, I said, I'd like you to replace my computer. And she said, OK, uh, give me about five minutes while I review your case and I'll be right back. And so, sure enough, I was on hold for five minutes and she came back and she said, yep, I reviewed your case. Uh, you're more than yep. you've, you've gone above and beyond here. We appreciate your time. But, yeah, we're going to go ahead and swap that one out. So and I had the same thing. I think uh, you remember with my old. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, with your uh, power book, power book. Yeah. Or the power book. It, it was. Uh, Apple Care uh, hokey pokey with Airborne uh, six times. So I think right. I eventually yes dealt with customer relations. I'm like, yeah, here's the case number. She's like, hmm, all right, yeah, this this has gone back and forth a lot. I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, you're losing money every minute you're speaking to me, and it's under Apple Care. So, you know, I mean, the tech kind of said that you know enough is enough, and she's like, you know, you're right. We're going to give you the same class of machine. Yep. She didn't even ask me. She kind of offered this because it was already discussed. I think uh, there, you know, in the in the the case notes for right for this, you know, the the tech was like, you know, if we can't fix this in one more round, then he gets a new machine of the equivalent, which is nice. And that's one thing that Apple is really good at. At mm-hmm. least when, when I had my, I think I bought the next to top of the line machine, or I may have gotten the top of the line when I bought it, and they replaced it with the equivalent, the, the current the lineup at that right. point in time because. Yeah, the other machine they didn't make it anymore. The, 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 they didn't make right. that motherboard anymore. They made some of the other parts. So, uh, so um, yeah, you, you may have to like you know our company for example has a group and a lot to either call the office of the president or right. you know customer relations or something. And yeah, sometimes you may have to take it in a non-technical, more you know touchy feely direction to uh, to get satisfaction. I, I will I will wrap up my piece in this by answering Mike's final question, which is do I what do I prefer live chat phone or email. Um, phone would be my last choice only because it's, uh, it demands my full attention and takes a lot of time, but I will, but I will try email. If my problem is not critical time, critical, I will try email for the first round only. I'll send an email off, explain my problem. If I can get an email back, you know, within a day or two and, and that timing works for me. With an answer and it and the answer solves the problem or addresses it completely, then I'm I'm happy. And I, it took, you know, three minutes of my time to craft the email right. and then boom, it comes back. Right. No problem. If that doesn't work, my next preferred method is actually the live chat online. And I'll, I'll pick a time to do this when I'm going to be at my computer anyway. And I'll just leave the little live chat window open. The people that do the live chat are often very well trained and it. A lot of times, especially with technical information, having that interactive but electronic means of communicating is excellent for getting data back and forth. You know, if somebody says, well, what does this say? I can copy and paste it to them. And then there's no misinterpretation, no problem whatsoever. And and I've had good luck with that, uh, both with with Comcast, my my uh, cable and Internet provider here as well as Linksys recently. Uh, excellent support on live chat. Mm. If, mm. if if that won't work, then yeah, I'll get on the phone, especially if it's going to be, you know, multiple issue, multiple times around. And I just can't seem to get, you know, the explanation uh, through then I'll, then I'll go to the phone. But that that's, that is my last, um, my least preferred method, but, okay. but sometimes yeah. the most effective. I mean, well, actually clearly. in my book, the, the, uh, so my first preference is phone. The, the only part I don't like is, being on hold for the initial consultation. And, uh, but other than that, no, I like phone as long as both you and the person on the other end have access to the resources that can help you solve the problem. Whereas you, you are in front of the machine where you're having the problems with, you can try things as the person suggests, and they have access to a database or knowledge base that allows them to do their job. I do like email if they either have a system that manages it. And a lot of times, you know, don't, muck around sometimes with emails you get from tech support because they may have something either in the subject line or in the email itself that brings it into a support system and helps thread it or, or put it in a case file. Uh, be careful of that. Uh, you know, try to, I, I would suggest, even though it may seem wasteful to reply to the entire message to kind of build on it. 
Right. Because uh, again, sometimes they use tracking systems that makes it a whole lot easier for them to see the entire. I mean, the thing you want is when you call back, especially with a case number, or if you have a direct line or something, you want them to bring it up in front of them and know immediately where you're at. You don't want to explain it again. And these systems help prevent that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So phone, uh, I haven't really done a lot of the chat things. I mean, I, I guess I'm. It's excellent. Tainted excellent. by seeing a lot of these chat systems. Some I've used where it's obviously somebody who is not local, who is working from a script who uh and and you're sitting there waiting for things to happen but i, I haven't done it often so I, I i will give it a shot per your uh recommendation yeah I, I i have found that i prefer it which which when i first realized that i preferred it was surprising to me uh for all the reasons you just said you know i, I previously was look just get me on the phone with somebody but now the phone goes overseas 90 percent of the time anyway so sometimes communicating with someone to whom English is not their first language or for whom English is not their first language. Uh, the text chat can make a much uh, better experience. So, all right. Have we, uh, have we, have we, we wrapped this up? Pete, this. did you have anything you wanted to add? Nope. Nope. No. Okay. Yeah. Right. I think we covered it all. Yeah. All right. Um, the horse has been beaten. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not good. That I, not that horse I in the least support. Oh, police is going to shake her fist. At me. Yes, she will. Yes, she will. <laughs> uh, I personally have never beaten a horse. So, yeah, good luck, man. They're big animals. I wouldn't. Uh, I've, uh, they're quite formidable. Yes, I, I watched I, my I, I watched my wife give one a whack this weekend when, when it was misbehaving. But uh, well, years I, ago, I know uh, I I've seen people get tossed off of them. It's, uh, oh yeah, it's, it's not pleasant. Yeah, oh, yeah. they're okay. All right, uh, you know what? Let's go to uh, let's go to sponsor number two, which is Audible. AudiblePodcast dot com slash MacGeekGab is the place to go. Uh, that's how you get. Uh, that, that by going to that link and signing up there, it accomplishes two things. One, it allows you to get a two week free trial of audible listener gold, which we're going to tell you a little bit about, and also gets you one free audiobook to keep whether or not you go through with your membership after the two week free trial. So that's audiblepodcast.com slash Mac geek The other part that it does, of course, is it lets them know that, uh, that you got there via uh via the show and that's obviously good for uh for us to be quite frank so uh pete i think you picked a book for us this time around or- i did i've been an audible gold guy for uh, coming up on three years now i absolutely love the service <clears throat> and the next one in my queue is the wild blue the men and boys who flew b-24s over germany in world war ii and uh it was written by Stephen ambrose and it talks about uh Basically, what they went through to become uh, from going becoming boys to becoming men, and and uh, uh, people like uh, George McGovern um, is is a famous example of a B twenty four pilot uh, in World War two. Um, he, uh, I guess, he flew like thirty five combat missions um, in uh, in the Army uh, Air Corps. Uh, got the Distinguished Flying Cross and. Uh, uh, it's going to be kind of personal for me. About 18 months ago, I got a ride in a B-24, and it was one of the most amazing things that uh, very cool that I've ever done. Yeah, it was. And to get in that thing, and, and you hear the phrase, well, I can't believe they went up in those things. Let me tell you, getting in that airplane, I was kind of like, I can't believe men crawled into these things, strapped them on, and went on runs uh, over Europe. And got shot at and uh, and shot down. It was huh. it was very heartening to uh, to see this and and to watch my my son was able to come with me and at the time he was twelve and to watch him struggle to crawl into some of the gunners' positions. Just going, how did grown men fit into these? Wow. Now, obviously, some of them were selected because of their smaller statue stature, sure. but uh, it it was it was eye watering to see. Wow. Um, but the other cool thing about Audible that I wanted to mention is there's all kinds of content that's available there. From uh, uh, if you, some of you may be fans of the show Car Talk, a public radio show, um, awesome. Or if you're into uh, politics, there's you can go back and listen to confirm. And some of these are free. The confirmation hearings for uh, Supreme Court judges; those hearings uh, are available on Audible. The inauguration speeches, I believe, dating back to FDR, at least back to JFK. Uh, are available and you know that's kind of neat stuff in some of our history that's available there wow. that you can go and see um and again we've talked about it before the wall street journal and the new york times is a choice that you get with your subscription uh to your to your one book a month i i do it by the year by the way i i pay the the one 
forty nine fifty a year, and that actually gets me thirteen credits instead of twelve. Oh. And so it's a discounted price, and they throw the baker's dozen in there. So that's that's kind of a neat thing. But anything you're interested in there, I mean, they've got tens of thousands of books, and if it's uh, uh, fiction, the Baldacci, Michael Crichton, uh, Patterson, uh, Vince Flynn, ad- action adventure to any so a lot of the great literature is on there uh the iliad yeah. the odyssey all that stuff is there and it so it's some neat content and uh it you won't be disappointed if uh if you're looking for something to uh entertain you in those hours when you're uh when your ipod seems otherwise empty <laughs> after you've listened to all the mac geek gab back uh right right now oh, that's very cool good. um it, it, and it will it will work on your iPod uh, or your iPhone. You can you can uh, sync the content down. You download it uh, into iTunes and it syncs down. And again, audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab is the place where you can get your two week free trial and your free book. So uh, check it out if you're interested and uh, take it from there. John, what uh, we're, are we moving on to? Uh, we're moving on to cool stuff found. We're going to we? get cool. All right. Uh, this, should we start with, uh, with, with Jordan's here? I think Pete's having uh, technical difficulties now. Uh, it, it, we'll start with Jordan's thing here, right? Is that, okay. is that good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, well, then, uh, yeah, we can we'll, alternate. It would just all, yeah, we'll just bounce them back. Bounce and forth. Around. Okay. Uh, so Jordan says, I'm currently listening to episode 201 and another great free way to delete the extra file associated with an application is an app called app trap. Available at a URL that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Wow. Is that Russian or? I, I think it's someone's name. Konstak. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to throw it. We're going to. We're going to link to it. But, but it, what it does is it, it very simple. It sits there as you drag the app to the trash. Similar to what we described with uh, uh, Hazel. Right, John? Hazel was the, the name of that other app thought last week. But this just does that one thing. As you drag it to the trash, it goes and grabs all the support files or asks if you want to grab all the support files. And if you do, it'll grab them and, and throw those in the trash, too. So that's uh, that's one cool thing. And uh, and thank you very much for uh, for sending that in, Jordan. You know, Pete, you read my mind, man, because I was going to look at that, too. And I saw the dot SE on his address, which, yes, is Swedish. So there you go. Very not not necessarily not pronounceable. It <laughs> doesn't make it any more pronounceable. That's right. That's right. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, we'll actually have to find a list because, yeah, some of the domains are, are well known and uh, and some are not. All right. Like the other you day, got, actually, you got one, John. Uh, I want to quickly mention just a little tangent. We, All right. we, we haven't yeah. had one of those. But, go. Yeah. No. So it worked the other day. I, I you know, use Google. Um, uh, Google has a service that does news clippings for you. Google right. alerts. Yep. And I got one and it was a press release from our company saying, hey, we got this new service and it's on the Web. And guess what they didn't do? They didn't give a URL, right? <laughs> no, that's not so, that's not so good. So I'm like, great. So I look and I read through the release, and the product name is pretty straightforward. But it, so I tried to type it in .com, and it didn't work. And then I looked. Oh, it was something from our uh, UK division or our UK presence. So I'm like, oh, well, I tried blah blah dot co dot uk because is that that's a particular yep uh, oddity to the UK. Voila, I found it. But one, somebody gets a finger wag because I mean and sometimes it's easy it's easy to miss. And sometimes actually I've seen a lot of this now on the on the internet and Twitter and stuff like that. People rip off other people's press releases and don't necessarily give them full credit. And sometimes things like a URL are missing. As far as I could tell though, this was directly from us. So somebody just kind of forgot. <laughs> well, you don't not forget to change the underlying link when you put out that press release <laughs> that you've just yeah. ripped off. You just, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, All right. Anyways, so uh, cool stuff on. found, John. All right. So cool stuff. Oh, I got one, two, three things. I'll, I'll go with the coolest one that I found. Um, iFi. So you know about the iFi, right? E-Y-E-F-I. That is correct. That's a, right. It's a little wireless card that you put in your camera. So, you know, a lot of us were hoping for Wi-Fi enabled cameras that would just beam through the, the ether, your pictures to your computer. Well, uh, there are very few models that do this, either through Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. Though they're coming out, but iFi makes a card that you plug in and it does this. Well, one of the usability issues with the the early versions that they fixed is that you, your computer had to be on, so you had to um, the camera and your computer were both connected to your Wi-Fi access point. You program the access point to the iFi, and then when it's 
near the access point and your computer, it starts uploading into iPhoto or, or uh, there are other modes, but I like the one where it dumps the, you know, pictures right near your computer and this one geotags them. Now they have a feature called Relayed Upload, I believe, and I'll link to it, where your computer doesn't have to be on. It required a firmware upgrade on the card. All of a sudden, the utility web utility said, hey, there's new software. You want to check it out? And I'm like, okay. Um, and I tried it, and it works. So basically, if your camera's near your access point and it's configured to do a Relayed Upload, it just starts blasting it to the iFi servers. And then when your computer's on at a later point in time, it starts downloading them. So they're basically renting you a little bit of disk space for your pictures, which isn't a heck of a lot. Like they're, uh, I have their two gig card and I think there's a four and an eight that they may be getting larger uh, because they got to cram other stuff in there like an iFi radio, uh, Wi-Fi radio, but it's awesome. And it does all the other stuff, the geotag and all that. So that's a, just a really neat feature um, cool. that they added and, and it worked perfectly. And I, I think it's an excellent product and they're, they're just adding stuff right and left. They're, they're really, really cool. And if you have a, camera that takes an SD card, I would seriously recommend looking at this because you can still use it as a regular SD card, but it really gives you a lot of extra goodies. So next. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to mention two things. One, uh, iFi of course is EYE.FI uh, on the web. So, so there's another company that's using a non.com domain. Uh, and, and Pete, uh, I, I've got to let this tangent go. So tell, tell them what happened, Pete. Uh, yeah, so I mistyped uh, iFi and I got the uh, key next to it. So I got iFo, did that in Google. And uh, it's cool. It's a Frisbee. And when you throw it, it uh, it has uh, LEDs and is able to uh, spell out words. In this case, they have on their website, the iFo is what it says. So, so yeah, it's got it's got a strip of LEDs. And as it's spinning around, uh, it, it actually spells words on the on the rim of the Frisbee. While it's, yeah, while I it's haven't dug far enough to see if it's programmable. It is. But, you know, it is programmable. Yeah, see? Yeah. It's, and iFi, that was clever too. Is Fi like Fiji or something I like think that? It's I think Finland. I forget. Or Finland, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, Dave, what do cool. you got? I, I will. Uh, uh, listener Dave actually wrote in about, uh, about something here, and that is, I'm finding it here. Just bear with me. On episode 200, a caller needs to keep his Mac from going to sleep. A great menu bar app I use is Caffeine. If you don't want it to stay awake, you just click the icon in the menu bar. And when you want it to go back to normal, you click it again. So this is uh, caffeine from Lighthead Software, lightheadsw.com. And it does exactly what Dave says. So check it out. What do you got, John? Okay, next. I got this. Uh, I don't have the user, but uh, he DM'd me about this. Um, as you may know, Dave, some of the uh, Macs, like the uh, Mini, I think, that's pretty much the only one, right? Yeah. Um, has the uh, the Intel kind of uh, uh, graphics chipset that's kind of baked into the motherboard and, you know, shares the, the RAM, I guess, and stuff like that, right? Yep. Yeah, the old MacBooks had that, too. So un unless you okay, have one okay. of the unibody MacBooks, your, your MacBook had that. And I think some of the older iMacs had the uh, Intel chip, if I'm not mistaken. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, the MacBook Pro, certain, mine doesn't. Right, but certainly the, the Mac Mini was uh, has, has had it, I think, all the way through. So so anyway, so he, he wrote me with this program that I had not heard of, and I don't know if I'd use, but... Except uh, the current... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you. The current Mac Mini does not have... Uh, it has the GeForce 9400. Yes, so yes. It, right. well, older, actually, older Mac Minis did. So I'm sorry, John, right. go ahead. Well, on a little tangent off of that, and then I'll get back on track. I'll try not to deviate too much. But I remember our pal, I think it was uh, Peter um, at Macworld, uh, wrote about the machine and I think said that with the inclusion of a much better, because typically these, you know, Intel onboard graphic chipsets are, are not, you know, not probably what a gamer or graphics right. professional would select. I mean, they're, they're inexpensive, um, which is part of the reason that the machine itself is kind of inexpensive but i guess they you know kicked it up a notch where apparently the latest mini is is probably not a bad gaming machine you can get decent frame rates and stuff but anyway so um so a listener uh, sent this to me and there's a program called gma booster and apparently what it does so here's the situation i could tell from reading about this i haven't tried it on my one at work which does have the Intel chipset. So I may try this, though I don't know if I want to fry it. So apparently the chipset, the graphic chipset is underclocked in the Mac. That's the claim I see with this program. What this program does is gets it up to, so I, I think if I was reading about it, the, the rated frequency that this chipset can accept is I think 400 megahertz. And uh, Apple runs it at a much slower speed. So what this does is gets the speed up to the rated speed of the graphic chipset. And he was like, 
Does this sound okay? Now, my opinion is, you know, even though the component itself is rated at a certain clock speed, if Apple is running it at a reduced speed, which to me almost guarantees that it's going to be running cooler or drawing less juice. I mean, higher frequency means higher temperature and higher, uh, a lot of things, power draw. So I don't know if I do it. My my advice was basically, if your machine's under warranty, go for it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I would not do it because uh, you got to think about component specs versus system specs. Now, it could be the case that if you do run this component, which either they they dumbed it down because they wanted to provide a growth path or they dumbed it down because it was part of a system design where if they ran it at 400, it would be so hot that it would bake the machine. So that would be my only concern in general about any sort of overclocking against the design of the machine. Now, yes, you could get in the conspiracy theory, or maybe it's not a conspiracy theory, that the vendor is intentionally crippling things because they want to sell you a feature upgrade while doing no extra work and just enabling a, a bit or a fuse or something like that. Or you could assume that maybe they know what they're doing and, and you don't want to, to go against what they recommend. So overclockers do this a lot. And typically they buy one of the first things is better cooling systems, especially the PC crowd that loves to, you know, even clock it above the rated speed. If you got enough cooling, then you're probably okay. Now you may have to get extreme, either big, you know, heat sinks or uh, liquid cooling or, or, uh, stuff like that so that's my advice on this i don't know if you have thoughts dave but it sounds cool if i, I have a machine i think if i had a machine that i wasn't really relying on i'd try it but i don't know yeah i'd, I'd do some I, I i don't know if you did any uh searching to find results from people that have been trying it to see if if uh if it's out there but uh you know what what they feel and what their experiences are but if you don't know what graphics chipset you have you can go to the apple menu Go to about this Mac, choose more info. And then when the system profiler comes up, click on under the hardware category, click on graphics slash displays. And the first thing that's listed there is chipset model. Uh, It will say GMA and then some numbers. If it says GMA, then you know that you've got a GMA chipset and you can consider using this app. If it says ATI or NVIDIA, uh, know that that's, it's totally unrelated and, and won't work for you. But but yeah, no, good good thoughts. Um, all right. Sharon writes in and says, I'm listening to podcast 197 about dock customization. Check out Super Docker. It's a free dock beautification program with some really neat options. Uh, it, it is actually more than just a dock uh, beautification utility. It's it's one of these kind of all around tweak programs. It lets you edit the dock. It lets you edit Safari. Uh, it lets you edit the dashboard. Some of the things that I saw with regards to the dock are it lets you have a background to the bottom of the dock, so you can you can customize things that way. Uh, I noticed in Safari, you can have it so that any links that are meant to open in new windows actually just open in new tabs so that you don't have new windows spawning all over the place, which I think could be pretty handy. Um, and it's all available at superdocker.com, and I believe it's free. So that that definitely falls into uh, cool stuff found. So that's uh, Super Docker from Sharon. You got you got another one for us, John? I got it for you, brother. All right, go. You ready? Yeah. So this is our favorite utility, or one of our favorite utilities yep. anyways. Uh let me log in here. Should have done this before. It's called Dropbox. I'll, I'll give I'll give him the intro while you're uh, while you're doing it. So Dropbox is a service. It's freely available. You can log in and get uh, two gigabytes of space uh, for free. And what it allows you to do is store your data in the cloud. But really, what it does is it syncs a folder from your computer up to their servers. And then syncs it back. So you can install uh, Dropbox on multiple computers and have it be your syncing uh, of all your files. And you can also share folders. Uh, and John and I do this. John and I each have our own Dropbox accounts. But then we have a Mac Geek Gab folder that we share. And, and that's what caused my panic, Dave. That's okay, right. So I'm, and I'm in, that, in that folder, uh, what we do is we store all the uh, collateral materials that we use for the show. Anything I put into the folder is 
magically and it almost instantly appears on John's computer. And of course, anything I take out of the folder magically and almost instantly is removed from John's folder. But it's just limited to that folder. I can't muck with the rest of the stuff on John's computer. He can't muck with mine. But uh, but that's what Dropbox does. Very, very cool service. Way more reliable for me than uh, than mobile me. Uh, for syncing, and I'm thinking of moving all my documents to it, but that's an aside. Mm. So, John, you you found a, a a cool thing about Dropbox. So, so why don't you illustrate uh, that that little thing? So, for a couple us. of asides. So, one I'll, <laughs> I'll send this out later is uh, uh, they have a deal where if you use right. a uh, affiliate link, I guess if you call it, and and I'll post it. Uh, both you and I or whoever get an additional 250 megabytes, up to a maximum of five gigabytes storage. I think they start off at two. Right. So who, whoever or signs three, up using the affiliate link or the referral link that instead of starting at two gigabytes, you start at two point two five gigabytes. And then uh, whoever's link you use also gets a bonus to two and a half. So we'll put right. I already filled mine up. Uh, so we'll put John and and I'm sure John's will fill up fast. We'll put John's and Pete's links out there in the uh, in the show notes and, and we'll we'll you can fill those up. Yeah. too. Pete says he needs gigs, but uh <laughs> I'm, I'm first in line. So, uh, <laughs> so anyways, what happened that freaked me out is so, you know, I, uh, this morning I did the pre-show as we call it. And, you know, just the, the upfront work that makes Dave's job a lot easier. Um, and I put the file, you know, for my Mac onto my drop uh, into the Dropbox folder. Um, and then I went to work. And then at, at some point later in, the, later in the day, I checked my Dropbox folder and the file was gone. I'm like, what happened? Did I, did I drag it to the wrong place? Is, is Dropbox broken? What's going on? Then the thing is, uh, when you log into Dropbox through, through, with the web interface, they have both things that shows files, and then they have something called a recent events. And I saw a couple of events. The first one was you added the file mgg202 pre-show notes.rtf. Then uh, several hours later, five hours later, Dave Hamilton deleted the file. So Dave, Dave cleaned up the mess because it, actually we should probably go through that and kind of clean it up a, a bit more. But anyways, there's a link in the web interface to the file itself. And so I clicked on it and it shows revisions of the file. But here's the cool part. Now, I haven't tried it, though I could, is that it shows. So what I uploaded is version one and it shows I added it and the, the name of my computer and it says version one. But there's also a restore tab. Oh, it works restore great. Restore choice. So what that's telling me, which is good and bad, I mean, the thing is, so when you delete something, you don't really delete it as long as the restore is available, which I assume is available for everything. So there, uh, I actually, so I've used this, so I'll, I'll, I'll chime in. Yeah. So the restore works exactly as you would think. In fact, while you're in the web interface, as you click restore the little Dropbox, it, it's a little menu bar uh, indicator that, that sits there once you've got Dropbox installed. And as soon as you click restore, the little menu bar indicator starts going and, and it starts downloading that file back to uh, to your computer and, and, and syncing it all back up. But uh, what they have done recently, if you follow the Dropbox blog, it kind of tells you about some of the new features and, and things that they they do. And one of the things you can do is now actually erase files. So if you want to truly delete something, you can do oh, that. Okay. And it removes the ability to restore, of course, but that may be exactly what you're looking for. So. So that's uh, okay, and that's yeah. nice because I've seen that actually. Uh, I use uh, something called Visual Source Safe. Yep, still. And uh, when you delete something, so th this is a version control system that's used mostly for software code that you can use it for documents and stuff. And when you delete something, it says, "Are you sure you want to permanently destroy this?" So, right. Uh, version control systems like CVS and uh, there's a bunch of them. I, I won't mention them all, but a lot of them have a feature where deleting something is really not deleting something because you may want it back. On the other hand, from a security standpoint, you may want, uh, some things are better left forgotten forever. Right. <laughs> right. And, and to be fair, you know, it Dropbox is, is reported to be very secure, but it, like anything we've talked about, you know, if you're storing your data up in the cloud, uh, it is what it is. You know, it, you have by definition, compromised your own security by sharing your files elsewhere well you know what i like uh, so uh, i'll go into a little detail go ahead pete a bit. oh yeah wait wait go ahead john and then and then pete's got something to say and then we gotta okay. we gotta wrap this thing up here oh really okay so i'll mention uh, so at the nine to five we, here so we've recently been using yammer at the workplace 
And uh, are you familiar with? Oh yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. So Yammer, Yammer is Twitter-like. But, but but not everybody is. So Yammer is a closed uh, Twitter client that you can set up. Tw- Twitter-like client that you can set up for workplaces right. and that sort of thing. So yeah, go ahead. Now the concerns. So I've worked with people. Uh, so. Uh, the bad news from a corporate standpoint is that anybody can sign up for it as long as you have a whatever.com address. That That's the, the basic filter they use. So if you're – so I don't know if we've done this. We could, though I don't see why because we already use Twitter and stuff. But we could, we could do a MacObserver.com Yammer account, and then only people who are under MacObserver.com can become part of it. So it's a very focused Twitter client. But the concern is that right now what they use is what, what's known as a SaaS model, uh, software as a service. Uh, what that basically means is that, so although the traffic is encrypted, the content that you contribute is shared. And that, well, well it's shared, uh, logically it's separated, if you know what I'm talking about. And if uh, we'll have to do a course on this at some point, but logically means that the intent is that your data is separated from others, though it may reside on the same drive or on the same computer as other people's data. And, the, and so what we've been kicking around is how sure are we about how well these guys are doing their job? And uh, for the most part, we, we've looked at their policies and stuff. But it, uh, I want to make the, the comment that in general, any service that's in the cloud, a cloud service or SaaS software as a service, you may want to look at options if you're concerned about security where you can host the application on your own premises and not use a SaaS model. Now, for right. a, lot of, a lot of situations, uh, uh, you know, having something in the cloud makes sense financially and, and maybe not from a security standpoint, but from you're going to pay a lot less. You don't have to maintain your own servers. Somebody else does the work for you. You hope they've done proper uh, you know, security procedures. And, and even now, we're working with these guys just to verify that they're, they're doing their, their stuff properly. So the, the way it works now is that we agree on this system. We will not discuss like really you know, confidential information. It's just for general, uh, general chatter. And if you want to use, if you want to talk about something that's, you know, non-public, then you use email or whatever we have in place that has been verified as a secure solution. There so. you go. All right. So I have a Mac thing to rein this back in. Uh, hyperspaces. It, this is uh, an app that enhances Apple's spaces that are in Leopard. Uh, Allows you to do some cool things. You can have custom background images per space. You can name your spaces. So instead of calling them just space one or space two or space three, you could have your, you know, mail and Safari space. I could have one, my FileMaker space, my chat app space, that sort of thing. Uh, set different colors to the spaces. You can pull up uh kind of a graphical representation it, it's actually a pretty cool piece of software check it out it's at hyperspacesapp.com and i think they've got a free i, I, don't, I forget if it's i think it's like 12 bucks or something so uh and i think man that wraps us up with uh really? with more t- more tangents than uh than you can shake a stick at but shaking that stick brings the band in <laughs> And, you know, it's getting to the point where I call it a, a, I don't know, a delicate balance. I'm at the point right now in Connecticut where I neither have to use the heat ah, yes. or the air conditioner. There's this beautiful, usually one month period, and it's usually May, June, where you're in a uh, probably a state that you'd like to be all year. <laughs> because because we, no AC, needed, no heat. we needed more small talk, so there's nothing like the weather to... Uh, that's right. And now, sports. Uh, and now to sports with Pete. <laughs> uh, to contact us, feedback at macgeekgab.com is the email address that works. That is Shut the best up. way to get to us. Oh, yeah, man. No, it's feedback. not. It is not the best way. I'll tell you the best way. The best way is to pick up the phone. And call 206-666-GEEK, which Dave is. 4335. You can visit MacGeekGab.com, which brings you to the place at MacObserver.com, where you can find all the show notes and all that great yeah. stuff. Uh, and recently activated, thanks to Dave, <laughs> Reactivated. You Skype us. MacGeekGab. That's right. And even better, Twitter. Yes, we love Twitter. I'm John Efron. Dave is Dave Hamilton. Pete is Pilot Pete. And we've recently activated, and we're using it. We're getting more followers. And we, we, or at least I tweet a little bit during the show, Mac Geek App is our Twitter feed where you can get to me or Dave. That's right. 
and we'll try to sign you know when I message I'll try to put my initials at the end uh, and Dave will put his but we'll sometimes we'll thing. kind of goof with you iPhonealley.com is Michael Johnston's home when he's not here creating the AAC feed for your enhanced enjoyment. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth to get the podcast from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebone Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and one free download and two weeks free trial from audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekM. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, I think we can get out of here. Damn. I think we're good. That was cool. <laughs> you were chatty Kathy tonight. You had all kinds of different tangents to share. Chatty Kathy? <laughs> Who's Kathy? I don't know. There was a Chatty Kathy doll. Don't you remember that doll? Had a string, pulled a string. I never had that doll. No, I didn't have it either, but my sister had it. Don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.